Hi, and welcome to the It's Mimic Campaign Builder. I'm Adam. And I'm Dan. And over the course of this series, we're going to be sitting down and creating a session-by-session campaign that you can either follow along with week-by-week, or just take inspiration from as you see fit. We know that every table is different, and so is every Dungeon Master, so please take what you want from each of these episodes and use, adapt, or throw away whatever you need to in order to make things work for your campaign. We don't know who our party's going to be yet, and we certainly don't know yours. So we'll be designing encounters for an assumed party of the following five archetypes. A warrior, a priest, a mage, a criminal, and an outdoorsman. We'll be slowly leveling up as we go, but for now, we're starting with session one and establishing the status quo. Each episode will be designed to be easy for any DM to adapt for any party between levels one and five. But for now, let's get to building. So we're starting off with the status quo, and as you know from listening to the first four episodes, we've established our our basic framework of the world right now. Mm -hmm. But why is it important to have a status quo? Well, you need to really establish uh, amongst your players what is the norm before you break it, right? And remember, you're coming into this as session one, so this is where your players will finally get to experience what you have spent the past couple weeks prepping. So, whereas you are established in the status quo, your party may not be, and you need to establish that first. You don't get expectations to subvert if you don't set up the expectations in the first place. Yeah, I'm I'm completely on the same page with you. We need to have a common ground for everyone to get started on. And they need to know what the general history of the world is, kind of what the theme and the tone and whatnot are, so that they understand what the world is is mm-hmm. because i mean we're gonna break the world that's the point of this entire thing we are breaking the cosmos and how they work yep that is our campaign and i know a lot of campaigns do go big picture you're not just stealing chickens at level 20 right that would be a fun campaign you know that they actually have abyssal chickens now as... <laughs> they're so gross i love them yeah anyway not the point so i'm all about at the very beginning setting up the relationships because how many campaigns start with your players walking into a tavern as a bunch of total strangers or waking up in jail cells as total strangers. It is ridiculous to think that people are on the road and don't have any contacts at the beginning of every D&D campaign. So we started off with a guild. Most of that is because both Adam and I are, we're kind of in the frame of mind where Starting off a campaign where your party actually knows each other, they don't necessarily have to be in the same party or be even be friends, but at least where they know each other makes it a lot easier to push forward and lets you as the DM focus on things like setting up the status quo rather than trying to puppet master these random strangers together. Because we talked in session zero with each one of the players about what their characters are going to be. We sat down ahead of time. I'm going to do this next time I start a campaign and I highly recommend this. You start off ahead of time knowing what each of the characters are. And you as a DM have pretty much the best idea overall of anyone else around the table. So what I do is I'm going to sit down and I'm going to come up with rumors or stories that people could have heard about these characters. Some of them will be true based on the backstories. Some of them I will extrapolate. And some of them will be wildly inaccurate. Yep. And then every one of the players around the table will get to roll on a random table for each one of the other players to hear what have you heard about them? And because you're already part of a of a standard guild and you have heard of each other and you know of each other and maybe you're on different trade routes 
or you're in different chapters of the guild or whatever it is. You have different hunting grounds if you're in a hunter's guild. Yep. Whatever it is, um, you've heard of the others and you've heard rumors of, and this gives you somewhere to start. And that's the problem. That's why most interactions fail early on is because you don't have anywhere to start. When you have your first session one, the players enter the tavern and the only things they walk in with are their backpacks, their swords, and their egos. Look at my character. Mm -hmm. We're getting rid of that. Now it's look at your character. And also, it really helps us, honestly, as a podcast, saying we already have these these um, relationships, these rumors, these the starting off idea of, of what you may or may not know about these characters. It gives us a jumping off point, and we're not going to spend any time today talking about how they interact for the first time. No, because really, that will be, as we discussed in like the Dynamic Encounters episode uh, last week, um, that will be the party politics part where your party just kind of sits and discusses for a little bit and moves on. For our purposes with the podcast, that's not going to be helpful. So what we wanted to do instead was focus more on establishing this uh, foundation for you to bounce off of after that meeting happens. Yeah, we are not talking about every encounter that you will have in session one. We are talking about a handful of ideas about structure that you can put in for dynamic encounters in each one of the sessions. So, for example, coming up with starting gear, who ha- who's wearing what clothes, and what do they look like when they enter the bar, that's just going to happen at your table regardless. So you don't need to hear us wax poetic about it. <laughs> what we are going to do is focus on dynamic encounters, and really why we've chosen these ones to start off a campaign. So the first one that I wanted to get into is a little bit of the party politics. We said that we're not going to get into the character introductions. They probably all sat around in session zero talking to each other. They've been tossing messages back and forth through whatever social media or text message that they've been doing or talking about it over a coffee. It usually takes a week or two to build up to a new campaign and they know what what each other's playing. They may even have a better idea of what their friends are playing than you, the DM, because maybe they're keeping secrets. I hate it when players do that, <laughs> but they always do that. My, my, my favorite thing is, we're going to be friends, we just don't know how yet. And then you have the one person who has told you that, who doesn't give you a character until like a week before the session, and then the other person who's like two months down the line, oh no, I am playing this. Yeah. Right? And it's like, okay, if you guys are friends, I kind of need to know both of you, not just half of this. Yeah. So, um, but what I do want to talk about is getting them set up and interacting for the first time with their guild chapter leader. Mm -hmm. That's important. So the very first thing that I picked up was party politics because I wanted to kind of drop this idea of role play early on. So the very first thing, the very first dynamic encounter that we're going to have is going to be our Tremblay, who, if you guys remember, is going to be our uh, chapter leader, who is this nervous Aarakocra who's balding a little bit. Um, He is going to uh, be putting together a new group of helpers from the Black Ink Union, that's our guild, because there's a annual restructuring where different people go on different trade routes and different merchants have uh, trade helpers with might have different strengths coming up on what seasonal things that they may want, whatever it is. Tremblay is going to need some new people. As everyone interacts, he's going to accidentally let it slip that the previous group of helpers uh, all died. Oh, good. And he doesn't want to talk about it. And that's it. And he's going to leave. And 
you guys will be in the guild house, in like the common area. There'll be like a kitchen and 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 uh, a couch, and everyone will be able to stand around and look at some maps on the walls. And and this really is an establishment that you guys, as players, or sorry, I keep saying you guys, that the players. Can you tell I'm a forever DM <laughs> that the players are going to be able to uh, to sit around and and interact with each other and then leave them alone in this room. They know who each other, who like each other person is, but now they're given kind of like, here's your new assignment. Here's your new job for the next year. You'll be working under Tremblay. How does that feel? What does that look like? Yeah. This is your opportunity to not do introductions, but to properly interact. So that's my first dynamic encounter is the party politics of letting them kind of figure out how they feel. This is a good opportunity for you as a DM to sit down and write notes. Whenever there's the first mission, so many, so many times the, the butcher comes in and the daughter got stolen and you had by goblins, you got to go rescue her and you don't spend any time loading up the horses and talking amongst yourselves as you ride out of town and saying, all right, so I know who you are and I can see you have a bow. What have we gotten ourselves into? This is a really good opportunity for you as the DM to start laying the groundwork in your own mind and in your notes about what sort of inter-party uh, intrigue you could add later on in the campaign. Say you have a Minotaur and a Warforge to, in this initial meeting, don't quite get along. Uh, as characters like there's there's some tension there make note of that so that you could pull on that maybe there's some hidden little secret that a, par a party member has given out here make note of that um, this is a really good uh, starting point for you as a dungeon master to come up with some plot threads for later you're also going to be able to see who's working well together yep well, if you have a mage and outdoorsman that are both working well together because those players are old friends and they have just fallen into their same old rhythm, it might really behoove you to either split them up or start building encounters that is going to, um, that's going to kind of reward them for these bizarre combo ideas that they yeah. will come up with of adding difficult terrain and then a sleet storm or a fireball or whatever, right? So they're going to start strategizing as they go. There's going to be experienced players around the table that really kind of fall into this, their same old habits and sitting back and watching them interact with each other, seeing new players explore and try to struggle with the role playing aspect yeah. early on. This is going to give you an idea about what you should be building and how you should be interacting with your players as you move forward. So that's why I want to party politics right up front and not introductions because introductions is about me and my character. I want interactions. You and your character. So your party's been spending some time sitting around a table getting to know each other. Um, and let's be completely honest. We now need a little bit of a push, a little bit of an inciting event. Something exciting uh, is going on for this party to you know, flex these muscles that they've been proudly displaying to their... It, it's D&D. Let's do some shit. Right? So what I have here is I have a... Straight up combat encounter um, that's going to end with a little bit of exploration as a uh, Tremblay person and lets uh, the party know that the opposing guild, Lachlan's Lot, is currently raiding his warehouse. And since the party is now, you know, his group, you guys around the table now have to go solve this. So you guys are going to go in and fight back this group of 
uh, thugs and brigands who are breaking into uh, uh, who are breaking into Tremblay's warehouse of random magic items. We said before that Tremblay's kind of got all these peculiar half-used they're broken, discount magic items right it's, it's a pawn shop right like so he's got this little warehouse out back and there's three or four thugs in there causing mischief you have to go in and take them out and then figure out what they're there for they're clearly there for a reason not just to rob him but to rob him of a specific thing so now your party after dealing with the combat has to figure out what that thing was I like this because it immediately establishes a low-level bad guy, right? This is going to be a constant issue that they're going to run into all of the time. We're establishing a villain, not the villain. We haven't even hit the main plot yet, and we're not going to for a couple of sessions. But we're hitting this whole guild warfare thing early. Mm -hmm. Giving the party something to band together around. Whereas Tremblay showed up, first they introduce each other, right, in the standard introduction. Then Tremblay shows up and kind of unites them with a little bit of suspicion. And us versus them feeling, do we trust this guy? Yeah. And then, wait a minute, here's the real enemy. Now we are a party. And this guy is not a bad guy. He's a victim. Mm-hmm. And we're starting to really kind of get the the overall feel of what we want our guild, our guild chapter even, to start to feel like now. The fact that Tremblay has magic items, but didn't have a lock on the door. Like, <laughs> this is what we're dealing with here. And so, I like the idea of there being, so quickly, this combat versus exploration. Because one thing we haven't done yet is is explored the shop. Yeah. He's a merchant. And you can kind of assume what a magic shop looks like. What does a magic warehouse look like? And this could take place in the warehouse or even in the shop. It doesn't really matter where. A back alley outside even. Just yeah. whatever it is. And what are they after? If you could figure out what they're after, the next question is why? Why are they after this? And just to be clear, we don't have an answer for this. No, we it, don't. We don't have an answer for what this item is. But I'm assuming that it's an item of rarity or it's going to be able to maybe be linked in somehow to our overarching plot line. Yep. Maybe it's a red herring of some sort. Or maybe they're just kind of setting up... Maybe they're planting evidence. Who knows what it is? But there is this real sense of, hey, these are the bad guys, but what do they want? Exploring motivations. The other thing, too, is you're going to establish real early, can you murder in Sandspit? In your (laughs) opening town, can you kill those thugs? And get away with it? And that'll tell you a lot about your players early, right? Yeah. So... The third encounter that we're going to have, the third dynamic encounter, is going to be um, a role-playing to exploration encounter. This is where Tremblay explains what happened to his old crew, because now he trusts everybody. Whatever your patron is, whoever is sitting there bringing your group together, whoever your quest giver is, is going to now start to reveal more information because your group has proven themselves. So this is a reward. With this little bit of role-playing, you are starting to get... And your very first NPC that you will care about. Yeah. It's not just the party. There's bigger stakes here. There's more uh, out in the world. And you're starting to meet people that are interesting. And the first one that needs to be the most interesting is the one that sends you on on missions. This is your quest giver. This is what you need. And so he's going to reveal what happened to his old crew. And the old crew went out on an escort mission and never came back again. 
This is important because we as DMs know that within the next couple of sessions, we have an escort mission to do. Yes. So this is going to add a proper sense of foreboding. But I like this because I think as he's telling them, he goes, okay, I can trust you. I'm going to allow you guys to stay in the, the guild house with me that's above my shop. But here is a, there are a handful of apartments. Here are their doors. They're all magically sealed in a personal way. And it's up to you guys to determine which one you want and claim them for yourselves. Here are the keys. I think this is how you open the door. Good luck. <laughs> and so it's a bit of a puzzle. And this role play has turned into an exploration. And so you've got your players standing there going, okay, there's a blue iron door. There's a red steel door. There's a yellow wooden door. And there's a, a green clay door. Clay door. And, uh, and, and that's it. There's only four. There's five people. There's only four doors. What are we doing here? Are they going to split up? Are they going to work together? They've got to get into these rooms. And what the other thing I would do is I would have different rewards behind yeah. the doors. By the way, the answer to this, of course, is make the gnome sleep in the attic. Well, I was going to say that there are bunk beds. Or, or bunk beds. Right? I like the gnome and, in the attic. And who's going to share like quarters with each other? Yeah. And why? These will be interesting questions. Maybe their quarters are three times the size, but you've got to share it. <laughs> maybe one of the doors is just to a bathroom but if you can do the appropriate spell or whatever in here you find that that's just a glamour and there actually is a room behind here but sometimes people come in and they your space is invaded because they're coming into the bathroom <laughs> right you just being on the floor you, you can always hear the 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 metal sound of the chamber pot being used at two in the morning gross right and maybe you don't want to be in here because of that, except that there's a charm on the room as well, so you only need seven hours of sleep instead of eight. And you let them explore and choose because these are magic rooms or whatever, right? The idea of the patron giving this reward as a result of winning this this combat and figuring out what was trying to be stolen beforehand. If they can't figure out what Lachlan's lot was after, maybe he doesn't give them... The rooms. Maybe he gives them items instead. Or or the rooms are just completely mundane. Or something, right? Or or it's harder. He doesn't know which key goes to which door. And there's traps on the doorknobs. Yep. Right? So whatever it is, I really like the idea of us going from one dynamic encounter to another. There should be consequence for everything throughout this session. You can see that we're building a narrative now. Mm -hmm. And we've gone from combat to exploration in one, and then role-playing to exploration in another, because we should be exploring in the very first uh, session, we should be figuring out the status quo. What we're doing here is introducing the guild house. So following up that uh, role-playing to exploration mission that we had before, um, I have a exploration to role-playing. So there's been some sort of collateral damage to the... Uh, combat and, and to all of this stuff that's happened to Tremblay in the past, you know, two hours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that uh, you know, now that his party, now he's got a group of adventurers or, or guild members who are kind of his to move around, he's going to get these guys to get set up and get equipped because eventually down the line, he's going to want to replace these potions. So he's going to uh, send the party out with, you know, here guys, here's a hundred gold each, go out, equip yourselves in the town. 
I've got some things to deal with. Tremblay disappears. So now the party has to go throughout the town and just find some, like, a general stores vendor and get to know them. Find uh, the not-guild tavern, maybe, and figure that out. Go see the butcher. Also, and I think this will be where it's a little bit more in uh, impressed upon the party by, by Tremblay or by whoever your quest giver is, find a place to buy mounts. Because there's going to be some travel up ahead and there's going to be a, as we mentioned before... An escort mission coming somewhere down the line that, you know, we've decided that we want to lead the party toward. Now, this this is a good time to even give them that first mission that we're going to go on, right? Like, now that Tremblay comes in and says, okay, good, now that you guys are settled and you have, you know, taken a short rest and yeah. not been quite as hurt as you, as you were trying to get through these doors or whatever it is, you're done arguing with each other about who gets what room. Yep. Now that you're here, hey, look, a lot, a lot of shit has happened. I know of this this thing I need you to go get. It's a fetch mission. It just happens to be you're fetching a person. Yes. Right? And so dropping that dropping that early at this point, we know that we're not going to do that until session two. We're not fetching yet. But we're dropping down or we're, we're giving the idea of prepping for a mission. Mm-hmm. And this is going to require a little bit of bartering. It's going to let your players know exactly... Kind of who's in Sandspit, right? And this is your opportunity as a DM to kind of throw in a sprinkling of very, very light NPCs to, to kind of interact with your party, right? You could throw in whoever it is for the tavern keeper or, or a random old lady on the side of the street, right? Just interesting NPCs that you could throw in and sprinkle in here as part of the exploration of the town itself. You don't have to go too in-depth with them because your party's not going to... Like, that's not the goal here. However, I would impress upon them that they don't have a map of the town and they should draw one as they go. Yes. They should be drawing out where the stables are, where the blacksmith is, where the general store is and whatnot, so that later on it may come up. We know... We know in the future that we want this town to be under attack at some point. Having a layout is really useful. Have the players draw up the layout as you speak. Mm-hmm. And when you say, oh, yeah, no, it's right on the corner of this street and this street. And they're like, isn't that what the blacksmith is? You go, oh, no, it's Kitty Corner from that. You don't have to have the answer until they challenge <laughs> you on it. Yeah. Right? But it's going to give you an idea of of slowly letting this city organically grow through the player's exploration of yeah. it. And having them say, having them roll perception checks to see what what shops are around, they could be really focused on what's going on with the, the chandler, the uh, the candle maker, mm-hmm. right? And not paying attention to the fact that they're walking past the armor smith. And they're like, I don't know, guys, there's nowhere to buy armor in here. <laughs> and then someone else is like, no, there very much is somewhere to go. And it's where <laughs> your exploration turns into role play. Yeah, and, and this is this is a different option other than just handing your players a map with the names of the stores on it uh, to, to kind of direct them where to go. I've that's, seen still that a, an, that's still an option. I've seen that a thousand times, and it's always less impressive than you think it's going to be. Yeah. Because you drop the map that you have spent hours on, you hand it to them, they go, yeah, okay, I just want a blacksmith. It's not, it's cool to know he's on the left side of town, but I don't give a shit. Uh, going to the blacksmith, right? And they don't physically travel there along no. the road on the map. Because you've already given them where the destination is. There is one alternative here, and this is to kind of blend the two and give them an a quote-unquote empty map that just has empty houses and empty street names. 
And then you as a DM have your version that has some names there and then you are directing them there and they are filling out where these locations are, what the street names are on their copy of the map. Yeah, I like that. I like that well enough. That's, yeah. I think that we should really start getting the idea of skills mm-hmm. and uh, and exploration and movement throughout the world being important. Yes. Because a lot of players and a lot of tables just don't. They will hand wave that and say, you go to the blacksmith, you got the sword, we're done. And they've missed that exploration, that exploration to role playing. They're opening up the door and going, excuse me, I saw that there's a hammer above the door, but what is this place? And it turns out it's a gem cutter. Okay, put that on the map. Yeah. Right? These people deal with gems. And that's it. It should be a... It's just a blown up version of a small tinker's hammer, right? (laughs) And so you can can kind of reward them based on perception or investigation. Or they could go bump into someone and just say, Hey, look, excuse me. I'm looking for whatever. Blank. Yeah. And just make a, a standard charisma check, right? Doesn't even need a skill attached to it. Just... Go find out. Yeah. Don't don't let the half-orc barbarian go find out. Go send the half-elf bard to go find out. Unless you send the half-orc barbarian into the tavern to find, hey, where are the more seedy shops? The, the exactly. undermarket this is, shops. This is where you want your warrior and your criminal as opposed to your priest walking in, right? <laughs> but maybe you need to find the nearest temple as well. And so these... Your paladin walks in. Everyone's like... Are you a cop? You have to tell me if you're a cop. <laughs> <laughs> but but this is <laughs> this is um, where you start to uh, think about your archetypes and your classes and the races of the characters as well, yeah. and where they fit in in this world, and that will be a major aspect of this exploration as well. Okay, that brings us to uh, our fifth one. Now I chose for this. I wanted to go with a combat to role-playing opportunity because while we fought Lachlan's lot already, I want them to be established as a consistent threat. It wasn't a group of three thugs that we beat up or murdered. We don't know. <laughs> I want I want something else. So when the guys are coming back from the shopping and their arms are full, maybe they've just bought a pack mule or some camels or whatever it is, and they're on their way back to Tremblay's discount magic items. They get stopped by twice the number of goons. Now, they breezed through the first combat. This one's going to be tougher. You may get one of your guys knocked out, but we're not going for lethal kills here. This is beat up and take your shit. Yeah. Right? You're going to get mugged. And I want this combat to turn into a role-playing because I would like this to get to the point where there are two or three... Player characters still standing, two or three NPCs or villains, thugs still standing. It's not clear. We're down to like one hit is going to knock you out from here. And remember, we're level one. So we're coming in these with like fists and and like little clubs. Yeah. They're using saps, 1d4 non-lethal bludgeoning damage, right? So we're going to see this fight, this gang, this turf warfare break out. And then right when it gets down to the wire of, are we going to win? Are we going to lose? Even if they are going to lose and they get beat up, they drop to zero hit points. You can have them woken up by Lachlan's uncle. (laughs) Remember, we established that he's the local uh, guild leader and uh, for Lachlan's lot. He doesn't like Lachlan. Lachlan's a bit of a drunk and he's irresponsible. This guy's smart and conniving and he's sending a message. 
And he's a real villain character here. Yeah. He's just a gnome, but he's going to let you know that this may be your home and you may have had great success with all your shopping and stuff, but I am here to be a thorn in your side the entire time. Give your party someone to hate in the first session by really challenging them as much as you can without it being a slaughter. Yeah. Right. Challenge their combat abilities early and see how they're going to interact with each other in kind of a more open space in the public and then have them really threatened. And this guy should carry enough weight. He should have enough of a... Enough clout. Enough clout to be able to walk away from this and say, you know what? I'm going to leave you bleeding in the street and you're not going to attack me when I turn my back. And I want to remind you that we're on better terms with the local cops than you are. So this is going to be the first roleplay experience where they are not in control. No. And this will be the first real introduction of dangling a villain in front of them. And remember what I said before, don't do that. Don't put them directly in front of your party because your party will just somehow murder them with the item they just picked up. Yeah. That you were not expecting them to, to go by. But. but but if they have gone through a bit of a fight first, they're going to be a lot more reticent to start another fight. Especially if two or three of them are already unconscious. Yeah. Right. And if he shows up with a little more muscle. Establish early that not fighting is a good option sometimes. This is going to make your world feel lived in. And we want to establish that right in session one. Yeah. Otherwise, your party is going to tend toward more of a murder hobo feel. And this is really what we're trying to avoid here by making it clear that running away or losing is going to be an option in this world. So following getting their butts handed to them after they've shopped after they've really established themselves as a party, after they've really helped out Tremblay and met Tremblay. The party is now going to, and they've been given their mission, that they're going to have to go get this thing. And Tremblay will then tell them, this is where you have to go. It is going to be this tent city up to the north, which is basically just a speed bump on the road to Sandspit. So if you remember when we were talking about our locations, we said that there was a tent city that was right outside of Sandspit. Sandspit is a walled city. Yeah. And that all of the different colors of sands from the four different directions on the map have all mingled together in this area. But there are these these massive roads. There's a crossroads a couple of days to the north. Yeah. And, that's, and that has collected into this large uh, bazaar, almost. It's just a collection of unaffiliated uh, merchants or affiliated merchants. Um, and maybe a little bit more of the rough and tumble. I, I, I like to think maybe think of just, just beyond the borderlands kind of tone to this place, but your party has to travel the desert for two days up to get this person person. Yeah. So we'll, cause we're going to do an escort mission. They got to go find someone. Let's call them a potions merchant. Yeah. Say a couple potions were broken. So we'll have this potions merchant that they have to get and escort back to Tremblay. Yeah. Right. But in order to do it, they need to. Figure out the way. Now, fortunately, there's been this big road. But you're going to give them the information that because of recent sandstorms in the area, the road's been washed away and now they have to figure out a different way to go. So your party is going to be uh, spending some time here recreating the map that they need to go to, to get to Canvas City. So what that means is that, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, Dan, 
They're going to have to go to the library and look stuff up. They're going to have to go talk to local people and travelers. They're going to have to uh, talk to city officials and find yeah. out how often does this happen? Where does it go? It's going to expand beyond shopping. What else is in this city? And that is the reason why we're doing this, is, is to get your players to be really aware of what is going on in Sandspit. So, and who are the major players? So instead of it being an exploration of perception checks to look over here, an investigation to find where your blacksmith is, now what you're doing is you're using, what, a skill challenge? Yeah, this will be a skill challenge kind of encounter where your party will be like, okay, well, I want to use a... I don't know, a, a nature check to figure out what this is. And then that's your opportunity as a DM to be like, okay, you guys, through your successful or unsuccessful nature check, you have found this information that you could put on your map. And you as a DM will also be able to track how badly they fail some things. And then you may give them some misinformation, which will hit them when they're doing their when they're traveling to the to the Canvas City later, right? Yeah. So this allows you to kind of manipulate the map and when what's coming on the road because this should essentially wrap us up for the end of session one. So you, you you will have by the end of session one, your party will have a rough idea of who's in the town. They'll have a rough idea of what kind of services are present in the town. They'll have a rough idea of what the road to uh this Canvas City is going to be. And all of that will bring a lot of life into your city and will help you as a DM fortify this city later down the line. So to summarize, what we've done is we've focused on some party politics early to see how everyone's interacting and to get them all on the same page. We've gone combat to exploration because we want a big call to action. Role playing to exploration because we're really leaning into the exploration and we want there to be more interaction with uh, with our our patron, essentially. Not not a warlock's patron, just the person that is going to be our quest giver. Then we went to exploration to role-playing as a dynamic encounter because we want to lean into that even harder and we want them to explore the town. From there, we got into more combat and role-playing as we introduced some villains. And then we ended up with a skill challenge to see how prepared they're going to be before they head out on their very first mission, which will be the next session and our next episode. Do you have any final thoughts, Dan, before we wrap this up? Session one is going to be one of those kind of campaign establishing sessions, clearly. I mean, it has to be by by default. But it's, it's where you will set your tone and where you will set your setting very, very easily. It is, it is, it is designed for that. So the reason why we've leaned so heavily onto exploration is that reason is because the way you disseminate this information to your party is through exploration. If you don't have a clear idea, if you don't plan to do that ahead of time, you will not only leave accidental gaps in the information, which they are going to make assumptions to get over and then have misinformation, but you're also going to be caught unaware and make claims and decisions that you may have trouble remembering later or that won't end up in your notes and they will come back and challenge you and then their faith in you as a DM may be shaken and you don't want that in session one. No, no, you don't. So this is going to be the thing like we 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 talked about in previous episodes, you know, spend some time figuring out your tone, your big bad evil guy, your guilds, all this other, all these other things. But before you start the session, have an idea of what your town is going to look like because that is what you are preparing. Your gift, the, 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 the cake you are handing over to your party to consume is this city of Sandspit. 
So come to the um, table prepared with a city. Now, if they ask a question out of nowhere, it's also helpful to have a couple NPC names and behaviors on the side that you could then make a little note of, say, this guy is the gem, gem merchant. Yeah, this is good. This is why I create tables. Yeah. Right. And my DM book at this point is mostly just notes and tables. Notes of what I have already decided and tables of what I have yet to decide. But here's here's my here's my tool to do it. Right. Yeah. And so um, they're not necessarily random tables because I won't roll. I'm going to say what works best here. I want a halfling. Yeah. There we go. It's a halfling now. And that allows me to be flexible. But it also allows me to put a little asterisk beside that name and update my notes when I get home later, right? This takes some of the... By doing a little bit of this prep work early, it takes a lot of the pressure off you to be spontaneous. And that's a thing that really scares DMs. Yeah. Right? Especially new DMs. How do I do this? I'm not going to lie. Every time that I sit down to do any sort of session, what the first 30 seconds of the session, I can feel my heart racing a little bit. Here we go again. Don't screw it up. <laughs> Everybody's looking at you to get the session started. Don't screw it up. Where did we leave off last session? Did you forget anything? Don't screw it up. And I have this in a monologue, and I think every DM to some degree does. Yeah. Especially when you're going off a of published material as well. Did you remember to drop Strahd's that brother's yeah. name in in this part portion seven sessions ago? Like, oh, shit, no, I didn't do it. How do I establish that now that it's looking tacked on? So keep notes, and the best thing, the most important thing when you start off with your status quo is what are the most important things. Yeah. We decided establishing our guild, our our guild patron, like our quest giver, our nemesis, our low-level nemesis, and the city we're in. And I really like, I, I like all of Dan's stuff about shopping and exploring the city, and then going out and, and meeting more people and fleshing out the city. You notice we didn't get into to residences or farms or where the... Where's the nearest water supply? Yeah. There are wells around. Don't think about it. That's why we're here. You don't have to do that level of, well, do the sewers really function as well in the poor part of town as they do in the... Man, I don't give a shit and neither should you because we're not going there. Yeah. If you are going down to the sewers instead and exploring the city through the sewer system instead of going shopping, then put your time and effort there. You don't have to go shopping because we went shopping. <laughs> But you should also establish down in the sewers that maybe there's a grate that keeps you from a rat the size of a horse. He's down there and you have a villain. You're going to have to fight this guy eventually and you know it. And he's hissing at you. But the moment you knock an arrow, he runs away into the darkness. Yeah. Right. So this is the same basic framework that I would use for any opening session one. Yeah. So there we go. That's session one. Now let's take a week and allow the themes and ideas to settle with the party. And hopefully this will give us some opportunities to lay out how we're going to go about getting to the first mission. Tune in next week when we offer up more ideas for encounters based on traveling on the open road while at the tender stages of level one and what random encounters we may inject there. Thanks for listening to this episode of the new It's a Mimic campaign builder series. 
You can find us at www.itsamimic.com or on iTunes, Spotify, and most podcast catchers. We're also available on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and more, and would love to hear your thoughts on how you would use this episode in your own homebrew campaigns. I'm Dan. And I'm Adam. And we'll be back with more prep work next week. Hey everyone, it's Adam here in the editing studio, and we've asked every week for your feedback about how these episodes are inspiring you. So far, the feedback has been stellar, and we were pleasantly surprised by the number of responses to our episode on guilds, specifically. So we've rolled initiative, and the feedback we randomly selected this week is from Jackie Rackham, who said, I made a brewer's guild that ran an underground pugilist club that one had to get jumped into, basically fighting everyone in the guild one at a time until you dropped, starting with the newly inducted all the way up to the masters. Sadly, though, my players chose to join the jeweler's guild. LOL. Well, Jackie, God knows what goes through players' minds, especially when we set them up with what we think are the best plot hooks ever, and this raises more questions about railroads versus sandboxing and how much we should try to control a player's agency. But I'll tell you this, as long as they were having fun in the Jewelers Guild, you can sit back, take your Brewers Guild, put it on the back burner, and use it again in the future, maybe even as an enemy guild, the next time the Jewelers Guild gets a little too full of themselves. If there's anyone else out there who has some ideas on guilds or how they would attack their own session one, or even any of these single encounters that we've come up with and discussed today and our reasoning behind them, please reach out to us at info at itsamimic.com. Okay, bye!